John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1076.PS7208, certificate number 27531, The River of Doubt. Let me see, you're not anyone I know now, perhaps later on my hunting trip to Africa. Yes, you look like someone I might meet in the jungle. You've been to Mount Rushmore? Uh, I have. It's a little underwhelming. It's kind of the Plymouth Rock of the West. What, uh, of the four presidents there, who's the outlier? Well, uh, Lincoln's the only one with a beard. Okay. I believe Washington's the, the only one. Washington's the only one that has a collar. The, the sculptor got lazy after that one. The only one with, uh, with, with slave teeth. With visible, yes. The only one with slave teeth is unless, unless Jefferson has something kinky going on. That it's we not on the about. record. Not on the record. Um, I feel like the obvious answer is, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Why? Glasses. No. Oh, glasses. Right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the other three were all, um, you know, decades and decades in the past by the time, you know, near, a century or, or thereabouts in the past by the time Mount Rushmore was sculpted. Uh, whereas Roosevelt's a more recent president and probably, I don't know this for sure, but maybe just there on the strength of his emphasis on conservation and, and public parks in the West, it seems like he's right for Mount Rushmore, even if that makes it a little less of a pantheon of everybody's four go-to presidents. It's not James Madison, despite writing the constitution, for example. Right. It's hard to, it's hard to judge, like, as we've talked, I think many times on the, on the show, Hard to judge in recent history who the legends are going to be. I think when Obama was first elected, we all we all imagined that he was a he was a world historical figure, and then he won the Nobel Peace Prize for basically just redecorating the Oval Office. Yeah, right. And now, uh, now only four years later, I mean, he's clearly a beloved figure, but probably not uh, going to be enshrined in the pantheon of the greatest. Uh, people to hold the office. And now we assume Mount Rushmore is a pantheon. Yeah. But that's maybe not necessarily true. I don't know if that's ever in the press release that, guess what? We just sculpted the four best presidents and made them really big. I'm not sure whether the plan was to keep adding presidents to Mount Rushmore. Like Disney World? Like it was 14, 15 phases. (laughs) But yeah, I think part of the problem is if you include Lincoln and Washington and Jefferson, um, and yeah, any fourth any fourth president's going to be Ringo. Yeah, you're going you're uh, you're going to fall prey to the is this a pantheon question. You can't then just you know put up your favorite president. But Roosevelt, in his time, was considered one one of the great presidents, and I think it, the assumption was that he would go down in history um, as one of the great American presidents. Still, I think on the list the you know the list of top. Uh, five to ten. But I feel like the conservation thing has to help. You know, like the Dakotas has a Theodore Roosevelt National Park, yeah, right? I think that's a big part of it. But but he was also, um, Roosevelt went on a lot of expeditions in his life and was kind of uh, like n- not just somebody that conserved the American um, far west, but, but uh, a paragon of a kind of American manly uh outdoorsy virtue 
he's a larger than life figure in a way that um, it's hard to point to another president, not on Mount Rushmore. I guess maybe Grant. Yeah, but, right. But, but you know, Grant's alcoholism kind of puts him in a asterisk column. But Teddy Roosevelt has, uh, I mean, he he's got a military background, right? Busted trusts, but also Harvard, and then he was a, a, a Bronco Buster, and um, I mean, a lot of a lot he's of. He's a real person in a way that you wouldn't say about even popular presidents, a uh, William McKinley or a uh, Calvin Coolidge. A well, a, a rounded person, but also. Maybe by contemporary standards, he would be accused of being a dilettante, and I think was accused of it in his own time. Oh, is that right? Yeah, even but, at the time, people were like, "Hey, you can't do I, all this." I stuff. mean, as a as a rich kid, uh, it's it's one thing to go work on a on a cattle ranch in the American West. It's another thing to go work on a cat on a cattle ranch as a rich kid. You, you're always going to be trying to prove that you're there as a as a you know as a real hard worker or as a, as a scientist, not just, or, not just a dude, not just a dude. Uh, and I think there's a little bit of that, that, that maybe plagued him and caused, and I motivated him to excel, uh, at, at the things he tried just to always kind of dispel the, the suggestion that he's, he's coasting. That's nice. that that's not just a modern invention, the suspicion of the, of the trust fund kid. Yeah, but, we've always had it. But this was also an era where, I mean, in the age of exploration, who can afford to go chart uncharted um, rivers in in uh, in Central America? Or Just South like America? today, who else can afford to take unpaid internships at Vanity Fair? Sure, who can afford to go around the world in a dirigible that has your name on the side? That's why I mean, you can't tax the rich? That's exactly. If you right. wind up with a dirigible poor civilization. But Roosevelt was a. Um, I think he exemplified a kind of uh, frontier spirit that's not really in fashion right now in, in the sense that we're not lionizing um, scions of wealthy families who go to foreign countries and kill a bunch of wildebeest and name rivers after themselves. Is it really lionizing if they shoot wildebeests? Hmm. It's wildebeestizing. I mean, I'm sure he shot lions. I too. bet he did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and 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 he represents an earlier version of if you, of hey, if conservationism. Shoot, if you shoot a wildebeest with a gun, is that new metal? Uh, if you shoot a wildebeest with a gun, <laughs> it's good new metal. But you know, he came back from a lot of these expeditions with. 50 to 500 taxidermied animals to display in the Museum of Natural History. It's not what we would consider conservationism exactly. But it was conservationism back it then. It really was. Yeah. And I and I think w- what we consider conservationism now is a product of, of a, a generation of people that went to the Museum of Natural History and saw those news. I still can't take my daughter to any natural history that's more than 40 years old because it will be 80% taxidermy dioramas right and she doesn't want to see that right right my sister either doesn't want to see a, a, a stuffed bald eagle but that was uh that i mean before widespread nature photography i mean that was how you were going to see a zebra unless you went to a zoo which are also somewhat questionable right but roosevelt was um was larger than larger than life as we as we have established and, and i mean he's still the president from around the turn of the century that we remember best. We have Lincoln and Grant, and then there's a period where we have, a, we have several presidents that only a Jeopardy contestant would be able to, to put in order. Right. He, he really is the exception between, maybe between Grant and FDR? Well, I mean, we've got... Or Wilson, Grant Wilson, and Wilson, I guess. Right, and, and, and he, yeah, he does. He's, he's the, um, he stands between them kind of, uh, we we know like Taft because Taft is hilarious, and also Taft was was Roosevelt's you know apprentice in a way. Don't fat shame Taft. No, no, no. He's just he's you, one. You think he's funny at parties? I just mean he's was wonderful. Taft is. He was an athlete, even though he's, even though he's a big guy. He surfed at Waikiki. Taft had uh, 
Taft's mustache made him very aerodynamic. That's something that a lot of people don't know. <laughs> a lot of surfers today don't have that kind of mustache, but they should. They should. They don't, they don't realize that that's part of the game. You can wax your mustache and your board at the same time. Wax your mustache. That's not a euphemism. That's not. But Roosevelt, Ro- Roosevelt ascended to the presidency uh, not, by, not initially by being elected, but, um, but because he was – the vice president and his president died. Can you name the president? That president was in, in, in the form of a question. Who is William McKinley? Yes. What do I win? Da, 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 da. Now, are you saying Teddy Roosevelt shot? William McKinley. Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. At, at the Buffalo Expo. Someone tried to shoot Teddy. They succeeded later, but someone tried to shoot Teddy, and he stepped out of the way, and the bullet hit McKinley. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> he did He did a Matrix bullet time thing. But M- McKinley, McKinley was assassinated. Teddy became the president at the time, and still the youngest president ever. Yeah, not Kennedy. That's right. He was 42 when he took the office. Kennedy's of the, the youngest elected, which is a little different. Teddy served out McKinley's term. Uh, he, McKinley was assassinated early on in the term and then was elected a second time. So he was president from uh, 1901 to 1909. And then uh, after he was, um, and then he sort of handed off the presidency to, to Taft, his pal, uh, but then got frustrated with Taft and decided to run again for president. And even though he'd served as president for eight years, because he'd only been elected once, he still was eligible. I mean, well, there were no limits. There were no then. limits. It was kind of an informal, only Washington gets gets two, ter- or get, gets gets, two terms. Yeah. Well, Washington established two terms, and so no one you, should have a you third. You can't beat Washington. But right. he, had, he had the asterisk of, well, I only had 1.8 terms. And it was it was his uh, his cousin FDR that eventually uh, that broke the rule. So it's the Roosevelts that really are are trying to trying to exceed the two term limit. Rich kids, rich yeah, New York kids. That's exactly the it. 1912 election is interesting because it's Taft, Wilson, and Teddy Roosevelt. It's three uh, past, present, and future presidents running against each other. Right, and and Roosevelt and Taft, you know, split the. Split the vote. Roosevelt's running as a third party, but yeah, he's cannibalizing Republican votes from, or yeah, Republican votes from Taft. And so Wilson ends up winning, and the and the experience was demoralizing to Roosevelt, who kind of hadn't hadn't experienced a ton of loss up until that point. Is that right? That was a, a real moment of reckoning when you run as a third party candidate. He started his own party, the Bull Moose Party, and. I don't know if he liked the name. Like to him, it was the Progressive Party, but but you know the people had spoken and they decided they were going to nickname it the Bull Moose Party because he told reporters that he was fit and ready to run again because he was fit as a bull moose. So fit as a bull moose, and that became his that that, that they hung that around his neck. Huh? That's kind of rough. Yeah, he didn't he didn't keep saying it. It wasn't part of his stump speech. And the Progressive Party. I mean, that's fascinating nomenclature. Uh, given our current use of the word. I mean, and during that age when progressivism was a sign of vitality in the future, um, you know, it wasn't, today we would imagine that as being a super strong social justice party, and it was not. It no. was It was a little, a little lily-livered on civil rights issues. But yeah, Roosevelt was, I mean, Roosevelt was lionized in his time and wildebeests, wildebeested even. Uh, but he won the Nobel Peace Prize for, uh, for kind of brokering a peace between the Russians and the Japanese. Um, but having lost the, having lost the election in 1912, he kind of fell into a somewhat despondent state. And Roosevelt had gone on adventures before. Uh, and most up, up until that point, most notably after he, um, after he handed the presidency, I guess, over to Taft, he went on. And just to be clear, there was an election. There was an election, <laughs> right? But I mean, you know, after he after yeah, he groomed yeah, Taft, his successor, yeah, uh, he went on what we, I think, now contemporary critics would look at this uh, at this adventure 
as a um, vacation. <laughs> As a vacation and a, and a super, it's the kind of vacation that when the Trump sons do it now, they're just vilified on social media. It was a, it was a, a um, safari, a not. safari, uh, but it was a safari sponsored by the Smithsonian. So representing this era where you weren't just shooting elephants for fun. You were shooting elephants to bring back, uh, shooting elephants to understand them better. It was kind of rare for an ex-president to do anything back then. I mean, you, even it, now, <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy Carter's probably building a house right now while you and I are just farting around with a podcast. So, but Roosevelt on his, uh, on his 1909 expedition to Africa, uh, killed or trapped 11,400 animals. <laughs> How long was the trip? What's interesting about the trip is that uh, at this point in time, the presidency ended in March. Oh, right. He, uh, his presidency ended on March 4th, and by March 23rd- He had marched 4th. Uh, he marched 4th on March 23rd. Uh, <laughs> it's confusing. And began this, this enormous safari that lasted over a year, like three weeks later. If it's Wow. Yeah. Like three weeks later, I think- um, you know, I would still be Obama just, still unpacking. Yeah, I would still be unpacking. If packing it's about a year and he killed eleven thousand four hundred animals, that's over thirty a day. Yeah, and a lot of the animals. It's a busy. Is it like some great white hunter thing where he's got a bunch of staff collecting butterflies for him and, and padding his totals? So there are a lot of birds and reptiles and fish. I mean, there. Uh, but is he getting credit for stuff he didn't trap? That's what I want to say. Uh, yeah, the the whole the whole expedition, which which was, uh, you know, which numbered um, dozens of people. You know, every, they're picking snails up off the ground and putting them in plastic or putting them in kill jars. And those snails count against the total. It's not 11,400 lions well, that still, they killed. But I mean, still. That, that's how new species get found. And I, I like that he's getting snails and cuttle f- crawfish or whatever. You know, that shows that he's just not interested in the, in the glamour of shooting things. Yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, it was a fantastic, a fantastically successful expedition in, the, in the terms of its time. Oh, he killed 11 black rhinos. Eleven black rhinos. Aren't are black rhinos now extinct? Yeah, or, or boy, I wish close we could have. It. I wish we could have some of those back. But um, but you know, he's at the. He's basically there for the founding of the Museum of Natural History, and basically like all zoological exhibitions in museums are are you know extend from this kind of like let's go to let's go to Africa. Let's get a collection and get a collection going, and and it's it's purely in the colonialist model of uh, assuming that Africa is an undiscovered place and an unmapped place, and marching in pith helmets spinning to uh, to explore and catalog and map and define the continent in European terms. I'm white. I get to keep whatever I found. Yeah. European, Euro-American terms, in other words. Uh, but so so he, there's plenty of precedent in Roosevelt's life for, uh, for this kind of adventure. And in fact, he brought his son Kermit with him on this African adventure. Kermit was a freshman at Harvard and got, a, um, you know, got permission to go take a leave of absence for a year. Do we think Kermit was a common name back then? I don't think Kermit was a common name. The Roosevelts, um, although although they're the most famous Roosevelts, are named Ted and Frank. Uh, they also have plenty of sort of waspy, uh, waspy weird names. They're the, is Kermit kind of an upper an upper class name at the time? Do you think? I can't think of another Kermit except Kermit has a son named Kermit Jr. that we'll probably talk about on a future omnibus. Yeah, we are. Um, this is a Kermit Roosevelt series. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about all the Kermits. Uh, the R- Roosevelt's great grandson is named Tweed. Really? I wish I had more. Adv- I wish I was more adventurous. In I guess if I had nine kids, maybe I would. Maybe I would name them things like. Tweed and Mick George and and Frankfurter or whatever you know give them like give them some interesting names. You think smaller family size is leading to Macbeth? Um, 
<laughs> it's bad luck. You think smaller family sizes leading to less name exploration? Yeah, there's so, there are so many Elizabeths now because everybody has one kid and they just they name their daughter something that isn't going to I mean you don't have one kid and name them McGeorge. Kermit peaked in popularity uh, in 1909, when it was the 175th most popular boy's name in America. What's it derived from? Where? What? What is its? What's its history? Kermit. The most recent, um, the last time Kermit was in the top 1,000 was 1978, where it represented 0.004 percent of total male births. People were naming their kids after the frog in when 1978. Did, right. When did the um, well, when did the uh, when was Kermit Roosevelt Senior born? Kermit was born in 1889. Oh, okay, so so 1907 could be an echo effect of having a well-known presidential kid. The way I'm sure there are more Chelseas in in uh, 1998 than there were in 1988. I think that's that's probably 100 percent true. Kermit was a was you know the uh, a kid that grew up partly in the White House, and he was I mean grew up in the White House. He was he was a kid throughout Roosevelt's. Two terms in office. Oh, by the way, it's a um, it's a version of the Manx surname Kermode. Oh, but I've never known anyone named Kermode, so that's just kicking the can yeah. <laughs> a little more. Oh, I guess if there's um, I guess it's related to McDermott. I don't know why Kirk. Boy, if your name was Kermit, Kermit McDermott. McDermott. Yeah, it was fun to be a Roosevelt kid in the White House. Um, I've read stories about. Teddy making sure he took off an hour every day and uh, just having children's hour where he'd just play with the kids and they'd slide down the White House stairs on cookie sheets. Yeah. Or, uh, I mean, you can imagine they'd just walk through the house with blunderbusses just, just shooting at the chandeliers. Every member of the family had his or her own pair of stilts, which I'm sure- what, is, is really? The, yeah, which I'm sure is the last White House family where everybody had <laughs> stilts. I bet it was fun to be Kermit, although like a lot of, um, like a lot of children of famous people- uh, I think he was overshadowed by his father. A lot of his biggest adventures happened at his father's elbow. Yeah, I kind of wonder what that's like. Like, you're probably aware that you're getting way more pluses out of it than minuses, so you feel like it would be churlish to complain about being born into fame and privilege. Yeah. But you still probably think, why do I always have to be the the footnote? Yeah, I mean, you wonder, I think we're seeing with the Trump kids right now that they're really trying to assert themselves uh, within their father's orbit as individuals and and are being strangely successful. You know, I think I think Don Jr. is becoming a conservative, uh, like... Pundit? Yeah, star, right? I mean, if, if uh, Don Sr. died tomorrow... God forbid. Uh, Don Jr. would still have a career, which it was not clear he was going to have before his father became president. And Ivanka, I'm sure, is going to land on her feet. And Eric, I think, has to end up balancing the books. Yeah, Eric (laughs) might actually get his uh, GED. We don't know. Yeah, who knows? But uh, but that's not true of a lot of, of... children of famous people and uh, well i mean these guys have the ultimate platform it's not like it's not right. like the trump kids did it through pure uh aptitude and ingenuity no quite well not ingenuity but but they i guess different kinds of aptitude right if it, you're going to be a demagogue and you you could you could have an aptitude i mean in it. a post trump era i think it'll be interesting to see if any of that kind of magical halo that uh you know a certain a certain part of populist america has conferred on the trumps will actually survive the end of their movement and, and uh, you know, if the kids will become the new repositories for it or not. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's one thing for Don Jr. to, you know, to be like a sort of a pit bull on behalf of his father, but would he, yeah. does that translate to power what's, of his what's own? What's his own, yeah. yeah. And it's really never happened before. Like even in the case of, you know, there are plenty of U.S. political dynasties, but even in the case of a John Quincy Adams or a, uh, or a George W. Bush, they're, you know, they got name recognition from their parents, but it's not like there was some kind of halo of, of marketability that they that they inherited from all the George H.W. Bush fans who were like, hey, who, who's got more of that? Right. Like he had to go through the wilderness first. Ken, I know you're a clean man. Yes, I'm a clean old man. Yes, very clean. Head to toe. Yeah, you read as someone with a lot of uh, hygiene. Yes. 
I'm extremely sanitary, and I'm a long-time uh, early bidet adopter. Is that right? Yes. From uh, from what age did you start using a bidet? Uh, I think we first got. I mean, I, I, you know, first time in Europe, you 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 right. fiddle around with it, you experiment a little. You know, those right. college years of fiddling about. And then I think we've had one in our bathroom for about ten years. Well, you know, I used to think of it as a luxury item. But um, and it was mm-hmm. they were they were very expensive for a long time. But now uh, they've become affordable. Something that that uh, that an omnibus futureling could have in their own home. The Hello Tushy 3.0 is stylish, eco friendly, easy to install, and extremely affordable for this space. If you've ever priced these, uh, you will be surprised at what a deal the Hello Tushy is. It uh, attaches to your existing toilet. It requires no It requires no electricity or additional plumbing, and it cuts toilet paper use by eighty percent. You can't afford not to stop wiping, in my opinion. So go to hellotushy.com/omnibus to get ten percent off this already affordable Hello Tushy 3.0, plus free shipping. If you're bidet skeptical. Keep in mind, your new Hello Tushy 3.0 will come with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. Also, the Hello Tushy is, amazingly, not only not only will it clean your bottom, but it's self-cleaning as well. It cleans two things. <laughs> this it, is a special offer for our listeners only. That's hellotushy.com slash omnibus for 10% off. Go to hellotushy.com slash omnibus, 10% off, plus free shipping. So Kermit was, um, you know, was raised in this environment of uh, sliding down the stairs on a cookie sheet and was expected somewhat to follow in his father's footsteps. He went on the big safari to Africa. He went to Harvard. Um, but he seemed like a more retiring figure, like a, uh, like a shire. Um, like Kermit the Frog? Like Kermit the Frog, uh, Sesame Street News. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to live his own life and he, and he didn't necessarily want to live like a, a broadly public life, but he kept kind of getting, um, absorbed back into his father's orbit. And, and so their next adventure after he, after Roosevelt lost the 1912 election, he was despondent. He was now in his fifties, uh, and was sort of casting about, wasn't sure what to do next, um, and was offered an invitation to go to South America on a on a speaking tour to just. I mean, he was he was known worldwide as as a an interesting rock on tour and adventure that he'd survived an assassination attempt during the 1912 election cycle and narrowly right yeah, yeah. And famously like kept the bullet in his chest. Uh, he that's that, that's the story where he. He was shot and finished his speech, um, but the but they never took the bullet out. It was still there, so he was a you know he was a macho character, and of course that's you can you can imagine him going to Rotary clubs throughout Argentina and being really celebrated. It's funny we expect that from presidents today, but I guess it was an option in 1913 as well. Sure, got to pay the bills, but also have to keep busy. Um, and once he was scheduled to do this speaking tour of, of South America, he said, you know, what would be cool is if we did like a, like a kind of safari, a version of, of the safari we did in Africa. We'll get a bunch of guys together. Good times, right? Remember? Yeah. We'll go up the, we'll go up the Amazon. We'll collect a bunch of reptiles. I've been, I've been that kind of dad trying to recreate the fun family outing or vacation the second time. It's kind of hard. It's a little hard. Right. And it's especially hard. It's one thing to, uh, to start an adventure in Africa in 1908, having just successfully been the president for two terms. It's another thing to go on an adventure in 1913 when you just lost an election. It's just, it's just got a little bit of a shadow over it already. What's the, uh, what's the expedition? Does he do the speaking gigs? So he goes on the speaking gigs and his, and his plan is to do a kind of, yeah, uh, uh, an outing where you could keep your white linen suit on the whole time, you know, like I assume that was most of his adventuring. Yeah. Like a, like butterfly collecting, like you ride an elephant and there are porters, uh, who, who take, who make sure that the, that your camp chairs are set up. 
you know, before it, you dismount. It just occurred to me, before you get to the expedition itself, it occurs to me that the appeal of lecture tours would have been even greater back then when there was no, really no radio or TV opportunity to 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 see a celebrity in action, to, to hear and see a famous name. Like, really, your only chance to... Uh, yeah, this is before newsreels, even. Right. Your only chance to hear or see Teddy Roosevelt would be to wait for him to come to your town and pack into the the Odeon or whatever. Right, the exhibition hall where he, he rolls out a stuffed tiger and tells the story of being shot. So that's why a Charles Dickens or a Twain or whatever spends their twilight years doing that, because that's that's the only platform besides publishing. And it's a, yeah, that's right. He's, Roosevelt famously published books about his adventures. And so he would go on speaking tours that were, that were basically book tours. Imagine getting in the book line for Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Who, who can I make this out to? Uh, but once he's in South America, he, as he's planning this adventure, he's kind of, um, he's introduced to one of the most famous Brazilian explorers of his era, uh, and it's and the and it, he's recommended to Roosevelt as his guide for this adventure. Yeah, uh, why don't you tell me instead of asking me who the most famous Brazilian explorers come of, on, of go, the nineteen tens are? Go ahead, r- run down some uh, some. You, you, you tell me who this is, and I'll tell you if he's in my top ten or not. <laughs> okay, it's a man named Candido Randon. Oh yeah, do you know? Do you know Candido? Can Candido? I just realized I know his last name. Candido from the uh, from the expedition he ended up uh, co-leading with T.R. Candido Rondon. That's so Rondon. Candido, uh, and w- there's a little accentu over the a in Candido. What is that? What does that uh, say about his pronunciation? It's <laughs> it's Portuguese. If Portuguese is the same as Spanish, that just means you put the accent on the first. Candido. It, it would it would not be Candido. It's Candido. You're Candido. Saying, you're saying it right. Candido Rondon, and uh, Senor Rondon is. Um, is a, a larger-than-life legendary figure in Brazil. He's uh, he's the son of um, his father was Portuguese and Spanish, but also had a lot of indigenous forebears, and his mother also was largely an uh, indigenous like Brazilian native. So he's so like an Amazon explorer. He's an he's a. He, He's an Amazon explorer, but he went through sort of a traditional route. He became, he joined the military. He uh, was a surveyor and did a lot of the exploration of the Brazilian interior Mm -hmm. in the sort of turn of the 19th, 20th century era. He, He was a pioneer of the telegraph. So he would, he was the first person to connect Brazil to Peru and Bolivia via telegraph. And that involved exploring. Yeah, those are tough routes. Completely uncharted uh, territory. And this was an era when there were still a lot of uncontacted tribes and a lot of uncontacted tribes that were extremely hostile to outsiders. Um, Like uh, Rondon contacted tribes where every other person that had ever come in contact with them had been killed by poison arrows and Rondon was the first the first European or the first representative of of the colonial power to make contact with these tribes and he would take a poison dart in the chest and still finish his speech in fact he uh, we'll see in a second that that was kind of one of his mottos um, <laughs> I'll take a poison dart for you but this was a time when central South America, was one of the last completely uncharted places. Yeah, it's interesting that a Brazilian explorer is doing domestic exploration of of uh, his own interior, you yeah. know, the way that would have happened in the U.S. 100 years earlier. If you look at a map of South America and kind of make a big circle right in the very heart of it, which is which would be in southwestern Brazil, yeah. you make a big heart shape there. Um, that was a territory that was, uh, a, a lot of it is Amazon river tributaries and, and completely unexplored, like thick jungle. It's, it's flat country 
on the other side of the of the mountains, but like very, very, um, I mean, really far away, I guess, far away from the <laughs> coasts and hard to access. Anyway, so Rendon was famous in Brazil. He'd, um, this was an area called the Mato Grosso, which was literally That's like Portuguese for thick gr- bush. Gross mat. Yeah, oh, yeah basically same thing. thick bush. Um, and it was populated by, uh, by uncontacted tribes and crazy wild animals and a, a network of uncharted rivers that all presumably flow to the Amazon. But isn't it ironic that back then, uh, the place that was called thick bush was Brazilian today. Those are opposites. It's when you think about it, boy, that one comment deserves its own omnibus entry. <laughs> um, <laughs> He, uh, he ended up surveying all of Brazil's borders with foreign countries. And so he's, he's this like great adventurer and proposed to Roosevelt as the, um, as the guide for Roosevelt's riverboat expedition to collect butterflies. Cause the VIP will get you funding. That's right. This is an era where there are a lot of European explorers competing to, uh, to contact these tribes, to discover the great, the lost cities of the Amazon. There's the, um, there's the famous pursuit of the lost city of Z, which was, uh, the kind of like maybe fatal fascination of a, of a man named Percy Fawcett. Right. The idea that there are these giant Mesoamerican cities in the, in the, lost in the rain choked by rainforest now. Yeah, and you can go and and the first person to discover it, you know, would be made a famous archaeologist. And sadly, Percy Fawcett pursued the lost city of Z until he uh got lost himself and died in the jungle in 1925 only to have a plausible lost city uh discovered shortly after his death by others, the city of Kukikugu. That's did, right. But he did get his Kugu. own. But he did get his own. Uh, what Netflix movie or Amazon movie? So it's okay. Uh, well, it's Pro- a give, small consolation. Given the setting, probably Amazon. All kinds of all kinds of things uh, plausibly existed up there in the jungle, upriver, and so Roosevelt, in talking to, um, in talking to Rondon, you can imagine the conversation where. Rondon says, "Sure, I'll guide you on a uh, on a butterfly exhibition, or a bu- you know, like I'll I'll guide you on a safari, but you know, uh, I've got some, I've got some. Here's the real mystery. Yeah, I've got some uh, exploring to do. I've discovered the headwaters of an uncharted river in my telegraph line laying." mission of last year. And do we think Teddy and Kermit's eyes light up at this or are they, or are they more into their, um, their white linen expedition? So Kermit's not involved at this point, but Teddy very definitely eyes light up because this is an opportunity to, um, to go on an adventure that has a scientific basis and that would be, um, he's, you know, this is a very like Livingston, I presume style, uh, charting uncharted land or uncharted by Europeans. Not something he's really done before, despite all his travels. And and hard to, increasingly hard to do even yeah. then. Uh, and, you know. So funny to imagine an ex-president doing this. At, at the age of 50. Yeah. Or, you know, early 50s. To say like. Like we're impressed when George W. Bush starts, takes up, takes up acrylic painting. You yeah. Know? Right. This would be more like, uh, I'm going to go into space. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to a Mars ma- base or something. Right. It's precisely that. Like, I'm going to go in a, in a bathosphere to the bottom of the ocean and, uh, and live there for a year. Yeah. So Roosevelt decides, yes, I, I don't want to do this, this soft uh, mission that I went on. This is my last chance to be a boy. And I want to, you know, I want to join you on your expedition to discover the, the route of a river that uh, that Rondon had christened the River of Doubt, 
what is the, what is the doubt? The doubt is that, that it exists. That or? nothing is known about it. He found the headwaters, and he knows that it connects to a tributary of the Amazon uh, called the Aripuanya River. Now, wait a minute. The 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 little uh, the Aripuanya. The thing that should be over the N is over the A. The tilde. Yeah, the tilde. What does that mean? So it's not Aripuanya. It's Aripuanae. It's like a Portuguese pronunciation. Those are nasal in Portuguese. When the, you know, in, in, in Spanish, all that ever does is go over an N. Right. But in Portuguese, it makes a vowel nasal. Do I know how to say that? No. Aripuana. That was, that was guttural. Aripuana. Go through your nose. I'm sure that's super close. Uh, so they so the river was it was it was known where the river connected to the larger Amazonian uh so they could get there tributary they just didn't know where it went and they well they they found Rondon found the headwaters uh which were far far out in southwestern Brazil and the river flowed north. Okay, so he has both ends of the river basically. Yeah. Okay. And but no idea where it went or what it did In and between. this is the big adventure, right, of exploring the the jungle is what is there? I mean, no it could be the lost city of Z, it could be a portal to or the entrance point of a hollow earth. It could be that there are, you know, there's still an advanced civilization living buried in the jungle. Um, they know that there are that there are uncontacted tribes that want to remain uncontacted, and in fact, once their adventure started, um, for most of the time they were shadowed by, oh, by tribes by um, by tribes that like in the night would shoot arrows at their dogs and stuff, but never never revealed themselves, and so there was this palpable menace the entire time that they were being surveilled. Uh, and never, not attacked, but not left alone either. The uh, the Brazil Witch Project, basically. Yeah, that's right. The Brazil Witch Project. So they mount this. They mount what is going to be a, a sizable and and considerably dangerous expedition uh, that's going to require months just to arrive at the headwaters. Right. At which point, Roosevelt's wife, very concerned that her middle-aged husband is embarking on- He's Getting in over his head. Re- really, like, uh, this crazy expedition. And Roosevelt's full of of uh, bull and bluster. It's going to be bully! Uh, Edith, bully! And I, when, I don't know his wife's name. He when, had two. When people suggest that this is above his pay grade, he makes several comments to the effect that uh, if, his, if his bones are left- to rot in the Amazon, then that's how he wants to go. He'd rather he'd rather go that way than you know than die sitting up in a chair. No, he's in his mid fifties. Like he's not, but it's, he's yeah. not on his deathbed. But that's probably you know clo- he probably has the fitness and the life expectancy of a sixty year old, sixty uh, something today. So yeah, although who knows? I mean, with. It, Roosevelt does end up uh, having a, a shortened life, but it's not, and, and and this this perhaps played a role. Oh, is that right? Does this take a toll on him? Yeah, but so Edith, his wife, and and Kermit's mom suggests that Kermit go with his father, largely to look after him, keep an eye on him. But what a terrible idea! Right, put put your put, son put at both, risk as yeah, well. Put both of them there, like if if something's. It's not like whatever the dangers of the uh, headwaters of the Iperang River are. It's not like your uh, your kid at Harvard is going to be any better at it than your fifty year old husband. But it's perhaps uh, perhaps testament to their confidence in Kermit that, um, you know, he has an older brother, Teddy Roosevelt Senior, and Teddy Roosevelt Senior isn't. Although he is an explorer, and he and Kermit do go on expeditions later on in life. Wait, they have a son? They have another Teddy Roosevelt son who's also uh, an explorer? He doesn't get the nod, huh? Didn't get the nod here, no. Um, maybe, he has, maybe he has a wife and kids. Is that the issue? Kermit's still in college and unattached? 
This entry in the omnibus is brought to you by Indeed. Now, not everybody listening here is looking to hire people. I understand that. But some of you probably, by the numbers, are. We used to need assistance, but then your wife Mindy took over and she does the work of 10 normal people. But if you don't have a superhuman uh, 10-person assistant like Mindy, if you are looking to hire, you are wasting your time if you don't use Indeed.com. You will find quality candidates immediately with the Indeed Instant Match. So instead of spending your time doing that, you can actually meet and look to hire great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. There's no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time. You only pay for what you need. And again, there is zero wait before you see a list of great candidates for whatever your job opening is. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Omnibus. There is no better offer available anywhere from Indeed. You can get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So Teddy, the younger, and he's actually Teddy Roosevelt three. Oh, really? Yeah, there's so, a Teddy Roosevelt. The Teddy Roosevelt the, the, Senior the is pres- actually the, the older. The president is Teddy Roosevelt Junior. Yeah. Huh. Uh, he was by then. You're absolutely right. Established in in business and in banking, and was a um, you know wasn't like going off on adventures with his dad as a as a kid in his twenties. Yeah. He goes on to be the governor of Puerto Rico and of the Philippines and assistant secretary of the Navy. Um, so he was, you know, I mean, that's why you can't tax the he, rich. He was the political member of the, the family. Of the family, right. But so they set off on this adventure. They have a they have naturalists in their party, lots of uh lots of porters and various other um, you know. I think they still did imagine that although this was going to be an adventure full of hardships and and also real science, that they were going to be able to maintain a certain amount of civil, um, a certain amount of civility in the in the other sense of the term. We're not beasts, right? right. I'm sure they packed uh, China service for for eight. They may have, but they failed to pack adequate food and and uh, and other and medicine. Oh, so even by the time they arrived at the headwaters of uh, the River of Doubt, the starting point, it was already clear that they did not have enough gear. Had, and had maybe Rondon had not run anything at this scale before? No, it was that Rondon. I think was a, was more rough and tumble. I mean, he was he was hardy and and someone who had not just recently been president of the United States. He needs three grams of goat jerky a day and uh, a mouthful of dirty water and he's good. Yeah. And this party was, um, I don't think that they were dilettantes, but they were not prepared for the scale of hardship they were about to face. And so even before they started down the river, a large portion of the party kind of broke off and said, we're not going to be able to, to follow all the way, if we all go down the river, it's going to be a it's going to be a massive disaster. So a much smaller party of uh, around twenty people set off: Roosevelt, Kermit, Rondon, and 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 assorted porters, and um, and they're immediately sort of beset by hardship. They're traveling in dugout canoes, which are heavy and ungainly, and Hard to portage if you have to, right? Extremely hard to portage. And almost immediately they realize that this river is full of waterfalls and impassable rapids. Oh, so there is lots of... And they're pulling those canoes out and carrying them around waterfalls multiple times a day. So they're making they're making very little progress. At one point, something like they're reduced to traveling seven miles a day when on a you know, going on downstream river. on a river, you should be, uh, you should be covering a lot more territory. And I'm sure the stores were, um, the store, you know, the, the food stores had that, had the river speed in mind. Yeah, exactly right. 
And then they're, they are besieged by gnats and mosquitoes. Every time they stop moving, even for a second, they're covered with bugs. Um, they get malaria. Roosevelt, uh, gets malaria so badly, um, that he ends up, uh, kind of at death's door. And then he gets a bad cut and infection on his leg and descends into a kind of delirious sickness where everyone assumes that he could die at any moment. And, you know, you hear, you hear that a lot when you talk about people on great adventures that like he was near death and then recovered and triumphantly, you know, marched, uh, down the avenue of heroes. But in fact, for, um, for a lot of the adventure, he was being carried on a litter. He was, um, he did not bounce back. He was insensible. He, uh, it was assumed every night he wouldn't live through the night. And at one point he said to Kermit, you know, leave me behind. I'm, I'm holding back the, the adventure and, you know, let me die. And Kermit said, I'm going to carry your body out either way. Yeah. And so if you're dead, it's worse because it will just make it so much harder. So please continue to take your iodine and live. Quinine probably. Or quinine. Sorry. That's what I meant. Uh, Continue to take your quinine and, and, and live because you're, you're easier to move if you can, you know, at least lift your arms. And Roosevelt did. Uh, you know, I guess that rallied his spirits. Kermit also suffering from, from malaria. But we could have very easily had a U.S. president. No U.S. president has ever died overseas, I'm pretty sure. But we almost left one in, left one in the, the middle of nowhere, Mato Grosso, Brazil. They did, it was a successful, um, they, you know, they did gather a lot of specimens and they did chart the river of everyone in the party only Rondon did not get sick. Uh, and somehow I, you know, he had just a sort of natural immunity to the years, to the bugs. probably years of those bugs. Yeah, yeah. Years in the, in the bush. Um, there was even a, a, at one point Kermit's dugout canoe got caught in a whirlpool and went over a rapid and, and Kermit swam to safety, but one of the porters like, went over the waterfall and, and died. Oh, there were actual deaths. Multiple not, not deaths. Not everybody made it back. Oh, wow. Uh, in one case, one of the porters was caught by another one stealing food. Um, and he, having been caught, shot the, the, uh, shot his, his accuser and then ran off into the jungle. Wow. And the, the party tried to pursue him, but couldn't find him. And so left him. So presumably he also perished or maybe he's the father of a whole generation of, of mestizo children. Yeah. He's still there. 160 years old, (laughs) preserved by, uh, whatever weird Amazon mushrooms. Yeah. Preserved by mushrooms and, and Amber. Yeah. Ambergris. (laughs) Probably not Ambergris. (laughs) But they finally made it out. They did make it down river and, uh, and were rescued at the sort of the confluence of the river of doubt and the Aripuanya. Aripuanya. Mm. Uh, and when, you know, when Roosevelt then received medical treatment, by the time he arrived back in the United States, he was just able to walk down the gangplank of the ship. And which is, I'm sure he was. Was a relief since they were probably photographers and press. Yeah, right. I mean, he. I, it was one of those I think where they lifted him up and yeah, put the handrail under him, and he was able to walk down. But he was not feeling so bully. Not so bully. Uh, he. He was. There was considerable doubt that he had con- that he had actually traveled as far as he had. That this. That I mean, considerable doubt in the popular press. Again, accusations. You know, like the river of consumer doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Slurs that he had kind of, it wasn't possible that he had actually charted a thousand miles of uncharted river. Uh Um, 
but he went on another speaking tour. It, you know, he wrote a book and and angrily defended his reputation and I think convinced people that he had actually done what he'd done. That does get the taste of his election loss out of his mouth. Now that he has a new battle to fight in this one, That's right. he, can, he knows he can win on the merits. Rondon actually became a, um, a larger-than-life figure in Brazil. He was one of the first people to advocate strongly for the, uh, the creation of parks and reserves that would be off limits to people in order to present, in order to 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 maintain un, uncon, uncontacted tribes. He's the Teddy Roosevelt of Brazil. In in a in a way, he is. In fact, that whole territory that they uh, that they were uh, transiting is actually now the state of Rondonia. Wow! Within Brazil, um, I mean, I guess in America, we'll name states after. Anybody. There's two states named for some King Charles that nobody cares about. Although, yeah, I mean, in this case, it, it That's was- probably not true, actually. It could have been the state of Thickbush, but became the state of Rondonia instead. He was, he was a, um, this was an era, and I think it's kind of a, it's kind of maybe true now, where the philosophy of positivism was, was still sort of ascendant in- in the world of of educated statesmen, how do you mean? Um, it's the it was the kind of it was positivism was the philosophy of science that uh, that we could only know what we could see and measure, and metaphysics, and uh, you know that that civilization. Uh, happened in three stages and the first stage was that was religion that you attribute everything that happens in the natural world to god and then the intermediate stage was a kind of post enlightenment metaphysical world where you're curious about you know the world of poetry and feelings and humanism right and then positivism was supposed to be the third uh world or the i mean the third the final evolution where where all of that loosey goosey poetry stuff is is recognized as unquantifiable and a world that is that is quantifiable and deducible and um reducible uh becomes kind of the guiding that that is the that's the final evolution where where we know we base our knowledge on what we can know and it's a and it's a, an era of individualism. It's a it's the the presumption is that government is necessary to rule over people who are living in a world where uh, where they believe in the supernatural and a world where they believe in the poetical. Ah. But once you arrive at positivism, then each person can self govern. Because there's based no based on the evidence of their own senses. And, that's right. There's no superstition and whatnot. And so, so Rondon, his desire to create these um, these preserves where the indigenous people can live uncontacted, was an expression of his belief that uh, that they that those uh, tribes were not inferiors, but were simply living in the first of three stages and in, in order to get them to the metaphysical stage and to the, then the positivist oh, phase, see. it had to be a process of attraction rather than promotion. And his motto, as I, as I, uh, foreshadowed, his motto was in exploring the interior of Brazil was die if need be, but never kill. And in all of his work in contacting and working with, and, and for lack of a better term, I think he would have said domesticating, uh, making making uh, diplomatic civilizing, yeah, maybe? making diplomatic inroads with the tribes. Uh -huh. They never, they they apparently never killed. No violence. Yeah, um, and and that and. Uh, it was. Uh, That's what passes for enlightened in 1930. I didn't kill a single Indian, and I coulda. I coulda. It was the the technique they used was described as flirting, <laughs> you know. It's the, and we talked about it in in some sure. of our unconscious, you know, where you 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 go and you leave a little pile of leave coconuts, and then get out 
Do and, you, and then peer at them through binoculars. It's like passing a note. Yeah. Do you like coconut? You Check like one. These? Yes, no. We can give you more coconuts. So he uh, runned on, and I think, you know, I think, of course, all of all of that methodology and that way of thinking has been discredited. And I don't think anybody really believes in positivism anymore. It's um, because it's so insufficient to describe. If you take all of the humanism out of arts and letters, I mean, basically you would be taking arts and letters out of your consideration. And you might need some of those letters later. You're going to need them later. You're going to need to rip that letter off your letter sweater and turn bark into <laughs> fork. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the sickness and injury that Teddy experienced in, um, in exploring the river of doubt, which even during the expedition was renamed Rio Roosevelt. Oh, that's nice. Uh, although R- Rondon Ro- knows which side his uh, his tortilla is buttered on, and Roosevelt is uh, is apparently a, a difficult name to pronounce in Portuguese, and so it's, not it's super easy in English either. We're not crazy about our Roosevelt weird Dutch uh, weird Dutch vowels, but so it's colloquially colloquially known as as uh, Rio Teddy. Oh, that's funny. And there's actually a tributary that's also named Rio Kermit on. Uh, just because, sure, why not? Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. You never know whether Kermit's going to end up being president. But Teddy carries his Brazilian injuries with him and dies a few short years later oh. at the age of 60. Is it like a complication? What's, yeah. the, what's the cause of death? He was so weakened by uh, by the by the malaria and the infections that he never fully recovered. And, uh, and you know, you, I think dying at age 60 is premature for a man as hale and hardy as Roosevelt. It's a real, yeah, it's a real life lesson about how to manage a midlife crisis. You know, keep keep, right. keep the downsides in mind when you say, I need a fresh start. Which, yeah. Which way to the to the Mato Grosso? When you get to the headwaters and you realize that your white linen suit isn't going to cut it, you, you have a choice, like go back to the hotel. It's not a phase of your life for reinvention. And that's the tragedy of midlife crises is people thinking, this is my time for reinvention. No, sir. You're, you're in your 50s. You, you are now you. You have missed that. You are you. Right. And I think, I think you could, I think Roosevelt probably saw his presidencies as times when he was off the market. He should have been out shooting elephants uh, during yeah. that whole period. That's true. And uh, he still feels young and, and hardy and, and, um, but he didn't, I mean, he survived it, but didn't survive it. Um, did, so, ne- never lived it down. So maybe Rondon did actually kill one person. He, he assassinated a U.S. president. I think that Rondon uh, got away with the crime. Despite his motto. And that concludes The River of Doubt. Entry 1076.ps7208. Certificate number 27531. In the omnibus. Now, just for your uh, reference in the future, if uh, if there's any cultural memory of social media, um, obviously positivism, positivism can no longer prove the existence of any particular social media platform or other to you. True, um, as but, far as we know. So you're going to have to rely on uh, our, our word for it that we were at Omnibus Project and at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on uh, Twitter and etc. Facebook, Instagram. John had an OnlyFans, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you uh, could email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Send us your uh, Portuguese pronunciation corrections. <laughs> we, are, we are eager to hear them. Yes. I just implied that they eat tortillas there. You're not going to let that stand, are you? Oh, but 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 you're talking about egg, egg-based tortillas. I don't even know if they have those in Brazil. Please correct me on which flatbreads or starches are, are most appropriate to Brazilian cuisine. Um and uh, I couldn't think of which King Charles uh, North Carolina was named for. You could tell me that. You could tell me all kinds of things. I won't read it, but why not? Sure, you'll, you will. You'll I know feel you better. Do. Uh, you can send us physical items. I don't know what that would be, but if you have something you need us to see, coconuts. So flirt with us. See if uh, see if through coconuts you can bring us out of our respective jungles. I have here something that. Uh, 
JJ Verbino sent us. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm revealing his name because he goes by Verbs. I don't know if that's his DJ name. But, his DJ uh, name is Cut Creator. <laughs> but he sent us a couple copies of his uh, split EP. He doesn't want to call it an EP since there's only three songs. Oh, who did he split it with? <laughs> I don't... I don't know why it's split. Maybe it's, he means like it's a partial EP. But I mean, I think a split EP is where oh, two bands it. contribute songs to either side of an EP. Is he coining a new use of it, which is just that it's three songs? Oh, no. It appears there is another name on the back. Right. Split EP. F- Front Porch Revival. Okay. Why are you so interested in the non-verbs band, Well, I'm, I'm not. It's just, you know, a split EP. I have a, I have a, I have a split seven inch with Spiral Stairs. Uh, he says he, um, you know, is not able to support our Patreon not, right now, but he enjoys the show and would like us to listen to his music in oh, exchange. Thanks very and much. And I think that's the same. I wouldn't, you know, I like cash, but I also like, uh, I also like when people give me a mixtape. Sure. Free, free music. <laughs> those are the, those <laughs> are the same to me. <laughs> uh, thank you, JJ. And, uh, what else do we do besides What else? That? Did anybody send us their granddad's clothes? Sadly, no. Maybe next time. Oh, since I mentioned the Patreon, if you are unable to send us a split EP, I'm sorry, you are required then mm. to become a supporter of the show. Or make a split EP ASAP. At, at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Uh, you will receive benefits like actually bonus episodes if like two to three hours a week of Omnibus is not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, it, and once you hear one of the bonus episodes, you'll realize it's what you were missing. It is. Uh, if you don't think there's just enough of us dinking around in a regular show because we keep having to get back to Brazilian geography. Imagine a version of the Omnibus that has no Brazilian geography to return to. I, you know, when I, when I was uh, preparing that episode and I realized that that region of Brazil was called Thick Bush, I tried to anticipate what you would do with that. What, what corny joke you would make. It's just one of these 80s topics we're always accused of doing. But then you Thick Bush. Then you leaned into it and and I think really pulled it off. And that's the kind of that's, that's the high reason, praise that's coming the from reason you. this this show is uh is so I think creatively successful. Coming from you someone who has never liked a single thing I've said on this show. That <laughs> that actually means a lot. I liked it. It wasn't a pun, it was I mean there you had puns around it, but it was It's pun adjacent. Uh, pun adjacent. There are, um, you know, another more elite benefit from supporting the Omnibus is actually getting to suggest a topic of a show. And uh, in this case, we have told the story of Kermit Roosevelt so that uh, in the near future, we can tell you the story of a different Kermit Roosevelt, um, a story suggested by a listener named Ron. So that will be coming up soon. More Kermit contact content to come. More Kermit content to come. Why are there so many songs about podcasts about Kermit's? Uh, you can uh, find fellow like-minded omnibus listeners at the Futurelings on Reddit or Discord or uh, more especially Facebook. And boy, that's it, right? I feel like it is. I did it. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, up the Amazon of history. Up the Amazon of your own... What? Up the Amazon of... Up your own Amazon? Up your Amazon... Uh, up the Amazon of a of a time when puns were still legal, <laughs> not not punishable by death. Uh, we have no idea how long our civilization survived, or if you could even call it that. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.